Hi, welcome to the newest episode of The Adoption Files. I'm your host, Andy Stanley. Joining me today are Jamie Weiss and Courtney Humbo, the founders of the Georgia Alliance for Adoptee Rights. And we are going to be talking about uh, Jamie and Courtney, how they got started, and the amazing work that they are doing for the adoptee community. So thank you both so much for being here with me. Oh, thank you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. So, so tell me, how did the two of you uh, come up with this? How did you get started? Well, Jamie had been interested in working on advocacy work for a while. And Greg Luce of Adoptees United asked me to share my story about petitioning the courts in Georgia. And so she reached out to me when um, I was on his um, group meeting and said, hey, you know, I'm Jamie. I want to get involved. Let's do something. (laughs) And it literally came from, yeah, online messages and saying this need is so strong. So many people want their original birth certificate. So we decided to, to start the alliance. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, and I think so many people don't even know how to find an organization like yours, let alone start one, you know, just from scratch. So, yeah, and we did. I mean, Jamie could talk a lot about that as far as, I mean, coming up with a name, a logo, um, getting volunteers, committee members. I mean, it has been a grassroots effort for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, and it's not a small endeavor either. I mean, just what you're talking about, you know, you don't live in the same area. Like you're not down the street from each other. So you can't just pop in and talk over coffee. Right. Right. So thank goodness for the internet and social media, I guess, these days. That's how we've been able to communicate and zoom. I mean, <laughs> that's been great for all our committee members to just hop on at lunchtime and talk about what we've got to do. So yeah, we're really, um, we've got a great committee that's come together um, and they all want the same thing. They all want this unrestricted right to our original birth certificate. And these are birth parents, adoptive parents, adoptees, all joining forces and all believing that this is a basic human right. Okay, so there's a couple of things there. So you're, you're having this um, diverse group of people uh, who often others will claim aren't interested in unrestricted access. And then, you know, because there's the whole right to privacy argument and the anonymity argument and the it's you know it's we don't need to know argument and then you also mentioned unrestricted so could you both talk a little bit about you know what you mean by unrestricted and then also how you manage to bring together you know people who might seem like they should be at odds with each other about that unrestricted access? So our committee, we are very pleased to have such a diverse group. Um, We're very appreciative of that. And we also are blessed to have two of the members of our committee who have worked previously on the Georgia legislation. So one of those being an adoptee who really doesn't even have a stake in Georgia other than she used to live in Georgia <laughs> and and so previously worked with a organization called Gear uh, in Georgia to try and pass these laws in 2010, 2012. And then also we have our legal counsel who is an attorney in Georgia that has worked in the adoption legislation ever since the 1970s. So he has been involved 
for decades and he is also an adoptive parent. So we're very blessed to have them to help guide us as well with what the history is in Georgia uh, with the laws and, and the history of trying to get these laws to pass. And then uh, we're also guided by Greg Luce with um, Adoptees United and Ad- Adoptee Rights Law Center. So we are blessed to have them really <laughs> um, guiding us as well through this process. So I know, I know we're super, super thankful for all of them. Um, in terms of working for a a clean bill. So currently in the United States, there are only 10 states that are completely unrestricted, meaning that uh, there's no discriminatory restrictions for an adoptee to obtain their original birth certificate. They have to be a, a reasonable age and pay a small fee and they just obtain it. Um, in the states that are either restricted or compromised, you will see things like third-party consent. So that means that um, they may, an adopted person, and we're talking about adults, to be clear, we're talking about adopted uh, people who are now adults, who um, may have to ask their adoptive parents for permission to obtain their original birth certificate, um, may have to have consent from their birth or biological uh, mother and or father to obtain their original birth certificate. There's things like requirements to participate in registries, requirements for counseling, requirements for um, education. Like you have to have graduated high school or um, gotten your GED or else you can't know your identity. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, so anything like that, that's placed upon an adoptee, but not placed upon a non-adopted person in order to obtain their birth certificate is is a, a restriction that is just discriminatory against us. And so when we say we're looking for a clean bill, it means that it would be free of all of those types of restrictions and provisions. Period. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And Adoptees United, the organization that we're working with, the national organization, um, when a state has an alliance that forms and wants them as a partnership, they, the Alliance has to sign paperwork saying that we're going to agree to a clean bill um, under Adoptee United's um, mm-hmm. partnership. And Jamie and I and the committee, we all discussed it. We're all on the same page. We, you know, birth parents, adoptive parents, adoptees, we all believe that, you know what, we should be able to ask the state for our original birth certificate, pay a small fee and be done. You know, we're the only group in the whole entire world that can't do that. <laughs> you know, you look at, like JB said one time, you look at firefighters, you look at, um, you know, doctors, any group that you, any group of people you can put into a group, <laughs> redundant, um, they can all get their birth certificates, but adoptees can't. Even foster children, you know, have access to their original birth certificates. So once the adoption in Georgia happens, it's sealed and the state owns it. Yeah, I saw that in the, um, in the legal language that your original documents are considered sealed and locked at, at the moment that a relinquishment is finalized. No, the, the, it happens not at relinquishment, but at the adoption finalization. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So basically what you are seeking in, in a clean bill would be for adopted people to have the same right to a simple, streamlined, straightforward, inexpensive uh, access to their original birth certificate. 
you could fill out that one page form. I believe when I applied for a birth certificate in the state of Georgia for another person, it was $12 and it was a one page form and it took like two weeks. And we have to pay $35, I think, just to get our non-identifying information from the registry if we would like. Oh, okay. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about non-identifying information. It's, it's pretty comical. We, we get together and share, you know, about different um, forms and things that we've received amongst the committee members. And one day I was like, whose non-identifying information was actually mostly correct? <laughs> and everybody was like, nope, not mine. <laughs> or, you know, it just, that's kind of, it's just not an official truthful document. The original birth certificate is. We finally find out what hospital we're born at, the correct city we're born at, because Georgia changes the city um, to wherever usually the adoptive parents are living. And so it's not that's why we want it. We want to see the truthful document that confirms our birth story, that confirms where we came from, the day we were born even, you know, a lot of people wonder, <laughs> was so I really was, born that day? <laughs> and until you get your original birth certificate, you really don't know. <laughs> so that's very true. That was the first question I asked my adoptive mom was, is my birthday even my birthday? And I, I want to say too, like on day, we, we've, um, discussed a little bit previously, you and I have how the non-identifying information oftentimes contains a lot of opinion. <laughs> so yeah. we're not looking for opinion, story for facts, yeah. like the birth certificate should be a fact. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's an official record of birth. You know, this is a legal document and, you know, you talk about how Georgia had, you know, people will say to me, things aren't like that anymore. They look at me, uh, a senior citizen, and they say, well, things were different when you were born. And yet when I looked up the Georgia law, it still states that the adoptive parents can opt to use their place of residence as long as it is in the state of Georgia as the adopted child's official birthplace. That is not language for listeners. This is not archaic language. This is language that is being used today for any child that is born and adopted or born outside of the state of Georgia, but adopted in Georgia. It's those same standards are being applied today. So a child born today and adopted would still be subject to the same laws. Correct. So, you know, Jamie and I, we, we both have birth certificates that say we were born in Georgia. Jamie was born in another state. I was born in Augusta, Georgia, but my amended birth certificate says Decatur, Atlanta, basically. So um, they can now still, so now today, yeah, you're correct. They can still change the city. They cannot change it if the child is born in a different state now, okay. but they can change it to another city within Georgia. So say if you were born in Savannah, Georgia today, but you were adopted in Macon, you could change the amended birth certificate to read Macon. But if the child was born in California and adopted in Georgia, you couldn't, the, the amended would say California. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry for that error. I'm. Oh, no, you are correct. The city is, yeah, you can still change the city, which that's bizarre to me. I mean, <laughs> you know, it should just, they should just say whatever city you were born in because you have to use that on so many documents later in life. What city were you born in? Your passport, for example. Oh, so what I, say? <laughs> oh I, I know. It's, it's really such a questionable process. And I, my spouse always, whenever I bring up these like crazy adoption laws, 
He just says, follow the money. Just follow. He says, look at who stands to profit. Who's profiting? And he's like, as long as there are people profiting, you're going to have a, a tough time changing a lot of the legislation. So you guys are really uh, taking on a big, a big challenge. What do you think is the most difficult argument that you have to overcome in the Georgia legislature? Well, for sure, that is going to be the uh, privacy or secrecy of birth mothers, first mothers, um, or birth or first, you know, parents, fathers included. Um, that that seems to be what was faced in the past, and um, still is is in existence in the minds of of legislators and of society that somehow at adoption or at relinquishment that that birth parents or uh, first parents were guaranteed anonymity. And we know for a fact that it just wasn't the case. Um, so we have documents. We actually have Courtney's relinquishment documents from when her mother signed. Uh, we also have a, a birth mother who's on our committee who has the same documents that she signed. And then I have the printed forms of what is currently in existence in Georgia. And all of those forms are exactly the same. Since the 70s, they have not changed. There is one very small change, and that is the the time to change your mind um, for the mother. And it went from 10 days to three days. Wait so, a minute. Yeah, we went backwards, but... <laughs> Uh, that's the only thing that has changed on those documents and in them from the seventies till now, there is nothing that implies or guarantees anonymity or secrecy for birth or first parents. In addition, prior to the seventies, when these documents were put into place, there was no relinquishment document. So you could take an be sitting at the bar and take a napkin and write, I would like for you to adopt my child or take my child or care for my child. And there you go. That was, that was good enough. So therefore there could not have been any legal guarantee of secrecy or anonymity. Now, if someone, a social worker, a doctor, a lawyer, they could make promises all day long, but there was no legal basis behind any any promise that they might have made to uh, a, a mother in particular that she would have been uh, secret or anonymous for the rest of the the child's life yeah we have a committee member nikki who uh, who jamie referenced earlier who was in charge of gear the previous legislative efforts and she said at one of our meetings she said you know if anonymity is promise, show us the evidence. We've never seen any evidence since all of this legislative efforts started, well, in Georgia started in 2001. So, you know, in all these documents, there is nothing mentioned about privacy with the child. And, you know, we even had a birth mother, she said, I relinquished my right to parent, you know, when I relinquished my child. She said, I did not relinquish her rights from knowing who she is. And that was a birth parent saying that. Like, I did, she didn't, you know, she didn't want to be a secret from her child or her child be a, a secret from her. You just knew she waived her rights to parent. And, and in addition to that, um, the birth certificate is not sealed away until the adoption happened. So when that mother signs the relinquishment papers, there's also no guarantee that the child will be adopted. So should she relinquish and the child be raised for the rest of its life in foster care, 
the birth certificate with her name on it would still exist and they would still have access to their birth certificate. So it's adoption that seals it. So there's no way that she could have been promised to be anonymous. And even during that time that the adoption, you know, from, from the time of relinquishment till the adoption finalization, the birth certificate still exists and would be available. So that there, therefore they could not be anonymous because someone could obtain the birth certificate during that time, usually a minimum of six months. Well, I was thinking too, when I was, uh, you know, contacting Georgia, um, the Georgia registry, you know, I was talking to the social worker there and she was about to give me the name of my birth mother because my birth mother was deceased at the time. And she has my, you know, birth certificate. She has my mother's death certificate. So that's not an enmity. I mean, if they can give it to you over the phone and if somebody else can look at it, <laughs> all these people in the state of Georgia, yeah, it's... in, in the judges. So if, if you do petition the court to receive your birth certificate and the court agrees for you to receive it, they don't first go and ask the birth parent's permission or anything like that. So therefore, if a judge determines they can hand it to you, it's totally up to them. And so they, they can't be guaranteed an anonymity because at any time a judge could say, sure, you can have this birth certificate. Okay, so there's a couple of things there. So first, what you're talking about is is potentially setting precedent in the state of Georgia, because we know that so much of law is based on precedent. So if you can persuade them to actually accept the evidence that there is no promise of anonymity, because they've rejected that argument in the past, you're talking about setting a precedent in a state that is, is one of those most, those 17 most restrictive states in the country. So that could have implications for other people arguing for this, you know, from the same um, perspective to have their laws open or their records open in their state, uh, which I think is amazing because that would be like so important in other states, you know, like California and um, Virginia and places where it's so restrictive. The other thing that I'm curious about, so from reading the law in Georgia, what I understood was that if you are over 21, like you can apply for your non-ID at 18, but you have to wait until you're 21 to apply for your identifying information. You can apply and they have to make a good faith attempt to find your birth parents to get their permission. If they cannot find them, then you can apply to the judge to receive your identifying information. And six months has to go by from the time that they begin that process to the point where you're allowed to apply in court, like, you, because you, Courtney, you went to court. So you had already applied for your identifying and they. Well, yes. Yeah, so, so my parents, when I was my adoptive parents, when I was about 16, gave me my non-identifying information and my adoption decree. So I had the non-identifying um, when I was about 30 I decided to um, to find out where I came from, right? So I found the Georgia registry online and thought, well, I'll try this. So you pay 300 bucks and they search, you know, <laughs> they search for one of your parents. Um, mine were both deceased. And so I... <laughs> I just, I guess I've always just been really inquisitive and curious all my life. I mean, I can't believe really I waited for till I was 30, but it was around the time I had children. And I think that's really common with adoptees. They feel like they have a good enough reason or having your own child, like just opens up this wound. 
So anyway, I, um, once I found out that they were deceased, I said, all right, I've, I've got to have my paperwork. I mean, I want to know where I was in foster care for five months, what day I was born. Was I really born Christmas morning? I mean, it kind of sounds like a little fairy tale. <laughs> you know? And so, um, so that's when in 2020, I, I saw a post about a lawyer in Georgia who had a great success rate in petitioning the courts. Lila Bradley. And so I called her and said, I've got to have my paperwork. I've got to, got to know all the facts about my birth. Um, so had you and Jamie already met by the point that you retained uh, Ms. Bradley to petition the court for you? We met right after. Okay. Right after, because I talked, um, I talked to you on Greg's, what does he call it? The, <laughs> his monthly meeting um, online. I shared my story about petitioning the courts, how to do it, who to contact, all of that. And Jamie was on the call because um, she grew up in Georgia. She was adopted in Georgia. Okay. And so that's how we connected. Okay. Yeah. So you were starting this really emotional, expensive, difficult process at around the same time that the two of you were... Um, putting together the alliance, like kind of laying the groundwork. Right before, yeah. I petitioned the courts at, and I got my records uh, at the end of 2020. And then Jamie and I connected online, I think the beginning of 2021. Okay. So, so just, the, just a few months. So the but alliance is a 10 year journey for me to find, find my truths find my paperwork and get my OBC. Okay, so you had to go to court and spend a lot of time and money to actually have them grant you your OBC. Jamie, in an earlier conversation, talked to me about how she still has never been allowed to obtain her original non-redacted um, information from the state of Georgia, nor has she been able to receive her original birth certificate from the state of Virginia. So neither one of you has had a simple, straightforward, streamlined, easy way to find out who you are. Like you've both right. gone to great expense and difficulty and spent a lot of time I mean, if we had been born in Alabama, right next to Georgia. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Paid a small fee and gotten our original birth certificate and been done. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, our next door neighbors are doing it right. So that's why we hope we hope to follow. But yeah, our journeys have been so difficult, time consuming. I spent thousands of dollars petitioning the courts, not just a hundred bucks, thousands. And I still didn't get my foster care information, which is, you know, hopefully one day, but um, I did get the original birth certificate in that, in that mix. And that just meant so much. Well, when you talk about inequity and the uh, violation of human rights and just the obstacles to access that adoptees confront you know, the, the time, the expense, the well, emotional and physical toll that it takes. And you're still trying to live your life while you're going through this whole process. You know, you have kids or maybe, or you have jobs, families, homes, you have other obligations. So what you're doing now is, is such a tremendous, uh, Thing to be doing for your fellow adoptees because you both now know where you came from like you know your original identities so you know it it's wonderful yeah. that you're doing this for other adopted people like where are you in the process of doing this well we estimate that this this bill would impact about 200,000 adoptees in Georgia Wow. Uh, 
And so, yeah, we're talking about making a huge difference, giving people their first truthful document, official document that confirms, confirms their start in this world. So where we are, I mean, we're just, we're moving right along. It's exciting. So we have a committee made up of what we said, birth parents, adoptive parents, um, adoptees, super talented people. I mean, people that have so many incredible skills. Um, Jamie's our marketing um, just powerhouse <laughs> over there. But, uh, but yeah, so we have a committee. We have volunteers signed up throughout the state um, who are willing to call their legislators uh, around the time of session hopefully starting in the fall, start doing that. Um, we have legal counsel, Jim Altman. Uh, he has been active in the um, adoption, legal adoption world since the 70s, as Jamie said earlier, an adoptive parent himself. And so he is donating his time to help us pro bono. He also is drafting the bill for us. Uh, we also have a potential lead sponsor um, in Georgia, so we hope, hope to have that solidified soon and pre-file the bill this spring. So we've got a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement, and a lot of support um, on online and you know on social media. So Jamie can tell you what we're, we've done there. She's mainly done it, and it's amazing. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful that you are moving so quickly. I, you know, just for people who are listening, what do you mean when you refer to a lead sponsor? So you have to have a, a person in the House or the Senate to be the lead sponsor of a bill. You know, I can't just write a bill and hand it out to everybody. Someone, a, an elected position, elected representative or senator has to promote the bill. Um, and so you have to have a lead sponsor and then a co-sponsor. So once we solidify the lead sponsor, which should be any, you know, pretty soon here, um, then he or she will help us um, in figuring out a co-sponsor, someone that that person can really work with and that believes in this mission um, of what we're doing and this basic human right. So um, then we'll move to, if it starts in the Senate, then we'll move to the House after that. So I that's guess that's a lot of, yeah. There's a lot of pieces. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a complicated process to restore to people adopted in the state of Georgia a right that they possessed until... And how, what happened that it has to be restored? Well, and yes, it is complicated. And especially when you've got two Southern gals like us who have not been involved in the political world before. So uh, <laughs> we've been learning a whole lot uh, over the last year or so. Um, yeah. So restore. So prior to 1941 in Georgia, birth certificates were not sealed. Um, 1941 is, is that happened. And there, there's a number of factors that go into, you know, why that happened. Uh, some of it is, is various beliefs on different parties of, uh, was it for the protection of us, you know, bastards, uh, as we were known back then, that we would not have to uh, let other people know that that we were illegitimate and we were adopted, um, or was that on the behalf of keeping uh, a first parent, birth parent, uh, secret and and them not having to be shamed to know that they had an out of wedlock pregnancy and and gave a child. Uh, to be adopted, um, or was that on account of protection for the child and the adoptive parents so that birth families could not come seek us out, find us, um, interfere in our lives? So there was a lot of factors there. Um, I know, you know, the history with 
Georgia Tan and the Tennessee Children's Home Society did play a major role in the sealing of birth certificates. Uh, she inspired many uh, laws <laughs> in multiple states to be, be enacted that hid our identities away because she stole and trafficked children uh, in, in the name of adoption. Um, so that, that was, a, was a major factor. But I think there was really just many different things at, at, at play. And so for everyone other than, than us who wanted to know our own identity, it, it, it seems like they all have reasons to want to do it. Well, that's really horrifying about Georgia Tan. And it also makes me wonder, like, it would be really interesting to see who was the lead and co-sponsor on the bill that required adopt records to be sealed because I would think that knowing who those people were and kind of their background would probably be really uh, instructive. Would be very interesting to see if there was possibly even any connection there to the Tennessee Children's Home Society in Georgia Tan. I mean being there in Georgia that is very close and are affected by that. And also the Hicks babies in Georgia. So there was Dr. Hicks who was doing backdoor adoptions from his medical clinic where he would deliver babies and tell the mother the baby had died, but instead he was adopting it out the back door. So that took place in Georgia. And I, gosh, I want to There was a TLC series on it. There's some possible even connection there with Georgia Tan stuff. I mean, not direct, but like there was, I don't know. Is that same? I don't, yeah, I don't know for sure. But anyway. Watch the series on TLC. (laughs) A lot of those people though that were involved in illegal and unethical adoptions had connections to judges and legislators and people with money. So that tended to inform what the laws were going to be. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to look that up and see who who those sponsors were and, and what they were up to during that period. I, because I sometimes feel that these laws are not passed in the best interest of the child. It's just a personal opinion of mine. Well, we obviously agree. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, we're doing it. We're not doing it for a union. We're, we're not going to show up at Thanksgiving dinner and our bio family's doorstep. We want this because we want to know who we are and how we started. It's a basic human right to know the day, the time, where, what you were named, all of that. It, everyone else has that basic human right but us. Yeah, and the people that would say, well, what do you need it for? You can just do a DNA test. Well, first of all, that still doesn't answer the question of where, when, what time, how much we weighed. There's no guarantee that a DNA test will give you the information that you need because it depends on who else has tested. And, and you know, that's another expense that non-adopted people do not have to bear in finding out who they are. You know, I think we all know it's not just the cost of the test. There are also uh, the memberships that you have to purchase in order to participate in the platforms that are provided by the DNA companies. And I know from looking at your website that uh, one of the um, statements you have kind of refers to the um, commercial DNA testing. How does that come into play for you and your mission? So DNA tests are obviously something that's out there and is allowing a lot of adoptees to find their their 
original families um, and, and maybe, you know, learn their identity. However, that's a pretty public process. So when you do a commercial DNA test, it allows you to match to others who share pieces of your DNA, but you're not going to automatically match to necessarily your mother or your father, or even your brother or sister. You most likely what we see from many people is they connect to a third cousin or a second cousin or a niece or, you know, something like that. And they have to sort of one, solve a puzzle to figure out where they might belong in this tree. Um, And two, in solving that puzzle, that means if they match to a third cousin, they got to talk to third cousin and then they got to maybe talk to third cousins, you know, mom or dad. And then they've got to talk to all these different people in the family to figure out who they are and where they belong. So if there had been a secret pregnancy or a secret adoption that was, that was kept inside the family, well, it's not going to be a secret much longer because you got to contact every different cousin from here to there to figure out where you belong, as opposed to if you received your factual information of this is your mother and this is your father. If you did want to make contact, you could make direct contact with them as opposed to needing to talk to half of your family before ever figuring out who your mother and father were. So while it's not, it's not a, about reunion, just, you know, knowing the facts of your identity and the, and the truth of your birth, it doesn't, you know, people adoptees may want to know that even though they aren't trying to reunite with their family. Um, but if they did, <laughs> It's definitely a much private, more private process to contact someone directly. No, that is very true. And, and I think it's also about having the right to something that every non-adopted person takes for granted and having, um, you know, as we've discussed before, having that paper that shows you exist in time and space, like you're real, you're a real person, an official person. <laughs> Well, I spoke to you actually about, I found my family. Then we actually did DNA, myself, my birth mom, my birth dad. And that showed us to be in that relationship. And then I actually had my original birth certificate that was obtained by my maternal grandmother. Okay. So that was the process that that it happened for me, but it wasn't until I held that piece of paper with my facts on it that truly made me feel real. And DNA still didn't give me my original birth certificate. Knowing who my mother and father were. It was a verbal confirmation. Right. It It confirmed some things for me, but still didn't give me any right to have my birth certificate. Correct. It's, you know, it it may be a workaround that we have found in order to discover our identities and our history and, you know, where we came from, but it's not the same thing. It's not a substitution at all. No, you're right. It's not making us, it's not putting us on an even footing on a, on an equal footing with the rest of the population. What does it, what does it say to a person who's adopted that your identity is so, you know, horrible or, or what, that, that it had the state has to keep that a secret. Like you're forced into almost like a witness protection program. I mean, what does that say to us? Like you aren't worthy. You are not worthy of knowing or having your own identity, your own original birth certificate. You're not worthy of that. You are not good enough. You are a second class citizen. If you had not been adopted, you could have your birth certificate, but mm, not adoptee. Making marginalized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
it also tells us like, oh, there's something so terrible about your existence that we just need to blot it out. Like we need to- Sometimes it's not, right? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, it's, it's just like uh, we've decided. Our parents aren't, yeah, it's just, you know, so, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, I guess, too, is is what we need help with. Um, yes, going I would... forward. And, um, you know, we've got the session coming up in January uh, 2023. That's what we're shooting for at the Georgia Assembly. Um, and so we are looking for more and more volunteers every day to help us write letters to their legislators, call their legislators, starting in uh, really the fall when the legislators hopefully are at their home offices. Um, people following us on Facebook and, and Instagram, Jamie set those up and we've already got hundreds of followers on there, but we need, we can always use more <laughs> and we need people to sign up to help on the website too. So basically we need, we need advocates throughout the state of Georgia in particular, people who, um, people who live there and can call their legislators and say, you know, this bill is so important to me, please vote for it. I'm your constituent. And these can be people of any part of the adoption constellation, adoptees, adoptive parents, birth parents, or even friends. Also, <laughs> right. And also all of our, our, our friends and colleagues and just members of the general uh, society. So um, yeah, I have you, you don't have to, you do to not have to, yeah, you don't have to be adopted or you don't even have to have a connection to adoption to recognize that this is a right that adopted persons should have and to help support that. So Absolutely. I mean, because without allies, it's going to be very difficult to move forward uh, in any of the states with unrestricted access because we do make up a minority of the population and we tend to often be an invisible part of the population. I, we've been taught to be invisible, I think. So and not talk about adoption and everything, certainly. Certainly, especially as a, a child of the 70s. I think that was pretty common. <laughs> but you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. We are, we are voicing our opinion. We're, we're talking about our rights. You know, we just, we just want to have what other people can have. That, that seems like... And if you talk to people about it and you tell them, you know, gosh, I, I don't have my original birth certificate. And you know what? In fact, Georgia changed a lot of my information on my original birth certificate to this fictitious birth certificate. I mean, their jaw drops. I mean, they just can't believe it. A lot of people just don't know, just don't know that that's the case. And honestly, I didn't until, you know, until I started the journey. And then when I got the amended and compared it or I got the original and compared it to my amended, it just blew my mind that this this can happen. And I stated in a previous discussion with with Onde as well that I didn't know until five-ish years ago that I had an original birth certificate either. So even, even, even those of us adopted, like it's, our stuff is so sealed away, we don't even know it exists, much less the general population. Oh yeah. Yeah, that is so true. I, I think that our culture has done an excellent job of keeping that information from us and from the public, because you're right. I talk to people and they're like, what do you mean? You can't like, you had to see a therapist to get your adoption file or, you know, what do you mean your friend got denied access to her original birth certificate and had to go to court and what are you talking about right and, and you almost feel like you have to defend yourself like no this is real <laughs> <laughs> this is really happening so, so <laughs> yeah so now Jamie uh, you know Courtney said you do the marketing so is this basically you know 
reaching out to the public and letting them know about these laws and creating the websites and things like that. Because I know that you're a very talented photographer and writer and Courtney. Yeah, so. I, I just started when we, we formed the Alliance by, you know, creating the logo and then creating the, the website style based upon you know our logo and how we would want to to brand um, our organization and it you know creating our social media pages and just trying to get those out there and to share them to let the people of Georgia know what we're doing to let the legislators of Georgia know what we're doing um, really just trying to bring awareness to the problem um, and and garner the support of Georgians so we have, we have done that through our website, through our social media, and then through doing, you know, podcast interviews and um, writing. I, I, will, <laughs> I will write poems and um, stories and things like that, too, to, to share just anything that can help educate and raise awareness and bring support to our organization. Well, I am so thankful to both of you for joining me today so that we could talk about the work that you are doing and just how incredibly important it is. And I will include in the show notes uh, links to your Instagram and your website and you know your Facebook, all of your different, I'm learning all these different social platforms and how to utilize them. So uh, I look forward to sharing what you are doing with uh, the listeners and, you know, hopefully we can all learn from what you two have been doing just as you're learning from other people and we can build on this and, and make it a nationwide phenomenon. So thank you so much. I wish you both all the success possible with Georgia. Uh, congratulations on finding out your own identities. And uh, I always enjoy talking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the support. We appreciate it. Oh, you're, you're welcome. I've been absolutely appalled to learn that most American adoptees do not have access to their original birth certificates. It's just mind blowing to me that that is even an issue in 2022 and that it continues to be an issue moving forward. So let's change the, the narrative, change the laws. So yeah. thank you. Let's go Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. And thank you to all the listeners. We appreciate your support.